hello and welcome everybody. It's lovely so many of you could join us here today for this conversation with Emma Bugden, Senior Douse Curator. Emma has an extensive background in arts management and as I said is currently the Senior Curator of the Douse Museum in Lower Hutt and Manager of the Programs team there. So Emma, tell us a little bit about your role at the Douse and how you work with artists. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me along and thank you for all coming. Um, especially since it's such a horrible day and it's not that warm in here. Um, before I start, can you all see the image or am I in the way? Okay, good. Um, yeah, so I, um, as Carrie said, I, ha I have a very unwieldy title. It's uh, Programs Manager and Senior Curator, which means that I um, am part of the team that put on the shows but I also manage a bigger team of um, educators and the collections team, who are the people that look after the artworks, take care of the artworks. So it's quite a, um, yeah, it's quite a varied role. And um, I thought I'd just, this, I put this image up to start with, because I guess this is what, this is kind of what I'm really interested in and why I do what I do. I guess for me, I, you know, I really love art. I really, but I, what I really love is when artwork finds an audience. So that, for me, is what really drives me, is I just love that moment when somebody encounters an artwork and has an experience with it. Um, and my job is kind of, I guess it's about all the things that happen to make this happen. You know, this for me is really what it's all about. Um, and it's like, let me back around there. Is that better for you guys? Um, <coughs> This is one bit we didn't practice. Um, so this is where I work, <laughs> the Dallas, and I've been there about two and a bit years. And um, I guess the Dallas does lots of different things, most of them inside the building, some of them outside the building. This is Big Day Dallas, which is like our biggest event of the year. Uh, this is this year's one in February where we had 7,000 people come down and have a big party, basically. Um, so I guess what we're trying to do is provide a space for people that, we talk about it being the third space. It's the space that isn't home and it isn't work and it's somewhere you can come and have experience artwork but maybe you also come and have a cup of coffee and meet your friends or you come to an event or you come to hear some music. Um, and what we like to think is that people kind of take over our space. And, and they do, and sometimes they do a bit too successfully, and you know, that brings its own problems. Um, but for me, that's, that's what I really want. I mean, I grew up in a family where we didn't really go to art galleries, and I think that was because my parents felt quite intimidated by galleries. And so I think it's always been really important to me that we, we would make a space where anyone would feel welcome, and that we would actively work all the time at making people feel welcome. That's another photo from Big Dad House. Um, this is, I just talked about my team, this is, um, so this is Georgia, our registrar, she's um, making uh, little nests to send our Barry Brickle ceramic show on tour. So um, a lot of the work that goes on behind the scenes, I think, you know, I always find it really fascinating and I just think um, it's, it's quite a sort of secret, mysterious business, so that's why I put that picture there. That's actually a really good point that you make, Emma, that um, it's not just about the making of art. There's so many things that go on to support, you know, arts and arts involvement. There's a lot of left field from just your art making. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of other people that make an exhibition happen. And generally, the people that you see are the people that either run a gallery or they're the curators or the artists. And actually, there's all these other people that do, you know, incredibly complex specialist jobs that all sort of work together. Um, the other so yeah, we call them nests. Oh, there no, <laughs> so you can see, um, see, there's all these little holes. I don't know if you can see it very well. Each one is made to be the shape of the artwork. Wow. So um, yeah, they're really gorgeous things. I love them. Yeah, we've got a show on at the moment actually um, called the cabinets because we always we have all these beautiful wooden cabinets that we store our artworks in. You know, sculpt, small sculptures and ceramics and uh, some of our jewellery. And we've had to do a firewall on one big part of our collection store. So we've actually just taken six of the cabinets and put them out in the gallery, just as they are. Because we, we've always thought that they're kind of, you know, and they, they're filled with things like this. And we think they're really kind of gorgeous and really fascinating. And we thought, well, since we have to move these cabinets, why don't we put them out? Do something with them and yeah. make them a feature. And, yeah. and people have loved it because I think they feel like they're getting a real sneak peek in mm. the back. Like you say, the behind the scenes aspect yeah. is actually very interesting as well, isn't it? And the other big thing that we do is education programs. So we have a contract with the Ministry of Education to have 6,000 kids through a year. And uh, they do uh, programs around the exhibitions and then they generally make something that's kind of connected to the show. And we also... Uh, have an after-school program, and then we have we have 11 galleries, and one of our galleries is dedicated to programming for families, um, and that's really important to us. And but not to say that the rest of our shows aren't for families. We try to make sure that they are, but that we, there would be one gallery that's incredibly, I guess, aimed at kids, and we have a kids' lounge next to it. Um, I was just telling Carrie that a show we did recently called Pick a Mix. We worked with 19 kids where they went out the back and each picked a work from the collection. And then they wrote the labels um, that went next to the artworks. So we, we try to involve them, I guess, as much as we can. So that's another um, part of our education program. It's great to see that the Dallas, um has that kind of community engagement because it's a space that, you know, it is for all. And it's um, nice to remove some of those invisible barriers about appropriate people to visit. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think I was just saying to you before that when we had the opening of Pick a Mix, um, was, it was really neat because we got the mayor to dress up in his mayoral chains and his robe. Actually, a lot of the kids thought he was Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> that was all right, they were impressed. Obviously, that Santa would find time to come to an opening. But they were, the kids were all really comfortable, and a lot of their parents had never been to a gallery before, and the, it was the kids that were showing them around and, and kind of taking charge. That's amazing. This, um, I put this in to show, this is me um, working hard. I, this is a fake photo for a photo show. I, they were already all laid out and I did that. But I do a little bit of that, but, but not much. Most of my job is actually um, sitting at a computer, boringly enough. Um, I guess a lot of my job is project management. And it's, like I say, I think of myself as a broker or a bridge. There's the artist and the gallery, and I'm kind of mediating between them. And then there's the artists and the audiences. And again, I'm the kind of, you know, my role is to be in the middle and check that everybody has what they need and that um, where there's competing needs, <coughs> that you find a compromise. Um, it's and almost, we do, almost hmm? facilitation, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's been a facilitator or a bridge. Um, 
someone said to me once, described it as being a midwife. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I think it's about a role of being in between. And in a way, if you're doing your job really well, you make yourself invisible because what should be shining is the artwork and the artist and the audience. Um, and sometimes our, our shows are quite hands-on. We try to have a lot of interactive shows. This was an exhibition we had uh, about a year and a half ago by a Dunedin sculptor called Scott Eddy, where he made... He, he refurbished 50 old, broken-down kids' bikes and trikes and scooters that he got at the um, tip shop. And he made them into beautiful sculptural objects so that, you know, they were lovely <coughs> things, but they were also available for kids to ride. Oh, and so that was a... Um, it was a crazy show. We had it up for about four months. And at the beginning of the show, our front of house staff said, this, they keep coming up to me and saying, this is the best show we've ever had. And towards the end, they just kept saying, when will it end? Because <laughs> it wasn't, there's nowhere in their job description that said that they would spend you know, hours every day teaching kids to ride, which is what <laughs> happened. But I think that's something we try to do is take on projects that will challenge us. And you know, we learned from doing this project. And very broad appeal yeah. as well. And we had, I mean, we, we still get people coming in and saying that they learned to ride during the show. They, that their, you know, their mum or their nana or whoever came in once a week and they learned to ride a bike, which is not what you'd necessarily think an art gallery should do, but it's a pretty great outcome. Well, it's certainly a growing and learning experience, isn't it? <laughs> it is. We have people still turning up and saying, where are the bikes? Getting really angry that we don't have them on permanently. Um, so we, we have a mandate to show a lot of different art and craft and design. So um, we try to have a program which is quite broad. So we show painting, sculpture, video, um, drawing, printmaking, but also ceramics. We've had typography shows. We do a lot of jewellery shows, um, glass, textiles, weaving. We try to really show, I guess, the broad spectrum of creativity, uh, including surfing videos. This is a, um, a work we had recently by an artist called Alex Monteith, who is obsessed with kind of high adrenaline sports. And she worked, worked with some top surfers to make this work that was in the gallery, but also to do an event where we offered a day of free surf lessons. Um, which, again, I guess there's things in my job where, I mean, I don't think anything I ever trained for prepared me to <laughs> be in charge of surf lessons. But I guess, I guess that's the thing about working in an art gallery is that every show is different and every artist is different. And every time you think you've learnt how to do your job, someone else comes along and challenges it and you have to be really flexible. It's certainly um, a bit of thinking on your feet and, and learning to be adaptive and, and, like you say, doing that balance off so that you do become invisible. Yeah, and the thing is that, you know, I work for a city council and I'm sure everyone knows that city councils are not flexible. It's not the thing that they're good at. So you're always having to kind of, I guess, weigh up the bureaucracy which needs to happen and the fact that artists are incredibly creative people and they don't respond well to bureaucracy. Yes, that kind of makes you, as you say, quite the middle person, doesn't it? It's like the subtle negotiator. Yes. <laughs> um, we also try to support the work of local artists. This is the work of Veronoa Hitet from Waifatu. And uh, this is from a show last year, but we're also working on a really big project with Waifatu for next year. Uh, and that's Matt Hunt, a local painter, whose work you possibly know. Uh, 
that's a painting um, that went on the wall of gallery and then was removed after three months. Actually, I particularly enjoyed that work. It was quite beautiful. It's always really heartbreaking, those shows that you put up and they exist and then you paint them over with white paint. <laughs> and this is in our kids' gallery. So this is a show where people could write their own comments. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, can't remember if I answered your question. Well, yes, you did, really. We were talking about some of the projects that you've been involved with and, and things like that. Um, you also have such an extensive wealth of knowledge on how to navigate the art world. What are some of the common pitfalls or misconceptions that artists often face when approaching oh. galleries? Have I leapt a bit ahead for you Sorry, there? Sorry, I've got a little bit of some things I've done before that. Oh, that's great. Well, right? the other thing is, too, we'd love to know about your personal background <laughs> as an artist. Well, I thought, I've just quickly, I'm not going to tell you everything I've done because it would be really boring and not that helpful. But I just wanted to show, um, it's a few of my previous projects because I've worked in a lot of different galleries in a lot of different ways. Um, and I always like to show this photo. This is the George Street Public Toilets in Dunedin. This is where I had my first shows <laughs> when I was a student. Um, so I went to art school at Dunedin Polytech. I did sculpture. And I think when I was in about second year, I started doing shows on this public toilets because um, there wasn't exactly a, a sort of wealth of gallery venues rushing up to offer me shows. And the great thing about these toilets is they're self-cleaning, so it's, it shows that they install themselves, which I've never ha had ever in my career since. That's um, a really creative approach, though. And as you say, you know, as a, as a student artist starting up, you do need to think laterally about different ways you can get your work out there and, and engage with the public, don't you? I think the really important thing is that, you know, for most of you, you know, nobody is going to make your career. And, you're, you know, people, for very few artists, get picked up out of art school um, by a gallerist or by a curator and kind of given a career. For some people that happens, but it's, you know, in New Zealand that mostly happens in Auckland. It's not so likely to happen in Taita. Um, but I also don't even necessarily think that that is the best way of establishing a career because I think often for young artists who get picked up and have some success, it can be quite, quite quick very early on and I think that, you know, you watch some of those artists really crash and burn too. I think for most people building a career is something that takes a long time and it's a series of kind of slow moves, I guess. Not necessarily always starting in a public toilet, I think the key word in your sentence there was building. It, it really is, as you say, you don't expect to go out and take over the world overnight. And I think there was something about having control of your own career and shaping it. That's something I, I really believe in. And I think there's a huge value in showing um, wherever you show. You know, I think you learn so much from showing and putting your work out in public and making mistakes in public and getting feedback. And whether that's um, in a gallery or in your bedroom that you invite people to come and see it or here in one of the spaces. I mean, it really doesn't matter where you show. It's about showing and learning from that process because it's incredibly exposing. Every time you show your work, you know, it's, it's putting yourself out in public in a really vulnerable way and I think it's really important to learn to do that and the more you do that, the easier it gets. Um, so I just thought I'd show... Um, so I went to art school, I didn't become an artist. I think lots of people that go to art school don't become artists. 
Um, but the reason I, how I fell into curating is that when I was in my fourth year at art school, um, some friends and I set up a gallery in a space that we rented above the prostitutes collective in Dunedin. And then we called it the Honeymoon Suite because it was above the prostitutes. <laughs> I was thinking, is that art and culture in the same sentence? <laughs> <laughs> Seemed appropriate. And we started out, we didn't really know anything or anybody. We showed our, um, the people that were in our class at art school and then gradually we started to know more artists and we showed other people. Um, and I guess I started to realise that for me, I wasn't really interested in making, I was interested in kind of being that broker or finding um, audiences for artworks. This is another um, slide that, oh, sorry, terrible slides. I didn't really think about documentation when I was just starting out. This is another space I was involved in um, a couple of years after art school, um, which again, some friends and I rented this little space in Christchurch and we ran it as an illegal bar where we, we bought alcohol from the supermarket and we made our own um, labels and stuck them over the top and did a markup. And that was how we paid the rent. And <laughs> so we could give the space to people for free. Um, but I think there's lots of different ways that you can, um, you know, there's lots of ways to fund things and there's lots of ways to make something happen without necessarily getting a grant or... Um, I really like that you've brought that up because, you know, so much of putting yourself out there, especially at the start, really is thinking laterally and, and taking a punt and taking up someone's idea and, and choosing to become involved in the adventure. And, you know, you never know where an adventure's going to go. It's one thing after another. And it's a good point you make about the documentation yes. of what you're doing at the time. It might not seem like anything now, but 10 years from now, you might look back on it really fondly. So documenting your stuff is always very important. I have terrible documentation, as you can see, of some early projects. So um, for complete contrast, um, I, the first time I ever thought of myself as a curator, I had, so I had been running some artists on spaces and then I'd got a job at a place called the Physics Room in Christchurch, which was kind of contemporary art space, very small, um, had some funding, but it was sort of largely made up. Um, and then I got offered the job to come to Wellington and work at City Gallery and curate a big survey show called Telecom Prospect 2004 New Art New Zealand. Um, and it was, and I got a business card and it said I was a curator on it. It's so <laughs> the so first time I ever thought of myself as a curator. Um, and that was a really big show. It's still the biggest budget for a show I've ever had. Um, there's just some images from it. That's a Darren George work. Um, and it was amazing to work at that level. Um, and there was quite a lot of spectacle and hype around a show like that. A lot of artists, a lot of... Um, I mean, any show that has telecom at the very beginning of its name, you know, there's a certain kind of expectations that come with that. And I worked at City Gallery for about three and a half years as a curator, and I really, I learned a lot from it, and I really enjoyed it, but it did make me feel that that wasn't really the place for me. I didn't really want to work somewhere that big. And I guess ever since I've been working as a curator, but I've been finding places that fit for me. And I think that's all you ever do in a career is trying to find somewhere you fit. Mm. So it's from that show, it's Lonnie Hutchinson, Shona Rapiro Davies. And then I moved to a place called Tetsuhi Centre for the Arts, which is in um, Pakaranga in Auckland. It's quite unusual, it's half a community centre and half an art gallery. So it's the only place I've ever worked where you're curating shows and you think they have to sit alongside a family court hearings, um, weight loss classes, the Chinese opera rehearsing, 
um, indoor bowls, um, anything you can think of, crumping classes. It's really, really, I mean, it was amazing, really fantastic, and really challenging, and kind of, yeah. It's, it's, I'm sure you did a lot of learning there. Mm -hmm. So there's um, our Kuya doing an education program. We ran a thing called the Monaco Youth Art Awards. Um, and then just quickly, <laughs> I moved from there to a place called Art Space, where I was the director, which is in Auckland, which is a much smaller place, and it's more of a laboratory for artists. So it's about artists taking risks and kind of resourcing that and empowering them. Um, it, that's an image. This is a performance by an artist called Alicia Frankovich, and that's me on the other end. Um, I still get physio from this <laughs> performance. I was going to say, that's you know, a fair bit of whisking on that. It thing. is. But I like this image because I think this is, in a way, what a curator does. Um, you know, usually not quite this literally. But I think that's what I like to think that we do as curators, is we raise up artists and we give them a platform. Um, yeah, I wouldn't volunteer to be part of a performance like that ever again. But, um, one of the other things that I really loved about Artspace is that um, we could work with artists, because it wasn't such a big public gallery, we could work with artists in more long-term ways. This was a, um, this is a painter, Gina Shin, she's a Korean New Zealand artist. And this was a project um, where she worked for three years in the stairwell and she painted, she continually painted, I mean it's a bit like the painters on your building. Yeah, you know, it was an artwork that just kept growing and I think that's something I've always been interested in is that when you work with an artist, if it's for a show, then it's gone and then they're out of your life. Um, I think that's, that's quite a hard way to work, so I think I'm always looking for ways that you can continue to re retain a, a relationship with artists. Yeah. Ah, tips for after art school. Now this sounds like a goodie. Um, I'm sure you've got a wealth of ideas on how to navigate the art world. What are some of the common pitfalls and misconceptions artists have when approaching galleries and museums? Yeah, I guess, I mean, I can only give you my, my vision, but um, hopefully it's of some value to you. How many of you out of interest consider yourself to be or, or want to be a professional artist? But then I don't mean necessarily living off your work, but that's almost all of you. That's great. Um, because like I say, I think people, people go to art school for lots of different reasons. I went to art school and I didn't become an artist, but I feel like I've, I've got an incredibly creative job. And I think that's one of the things that art school gives you is an amazing grounding in kind of thinking laterally and thinking pragmatically sort of, it's an incredible blend of like thinking big and creative and also actually being able to do stuff, you know, whereas I look at people that did a BA and I think it's just, I don't know, there's so many other skills that art school gives you. But I think, um, I think this to me is the most important thing, is that there are multiple art worlds. There are lots of different art communities and I think um, you find the one you want to be part of. Because it's going to be different for all of you. You know, there's not, there's not an art world. There are, there are different galleries that do different things. There are different types of, of um, art practices. You could have an art career that's very local. You could have one that's very national or very international. 
um, I think you know it's a different approach for everybody, but it's about finding the art world that you want to be part of, and then being engaged in it. Um, I'm often amazed at um, some recent graduates that will just kind of out of nowhere send a proposal to a gallery that they've never been to. I mean, why would that gallery want to include you in its community unless you're kind of actively already part of it? So I guess it's a relationship building exercise, isn't it? It is, and it's thinking not every gallery is going to be for you and your work. So find the ones that you think fit your work and then build a relationship with them. Go to all their shows. See if you can get on their mailing list and go to their openings. Have conversations with them. You know, participate in, in their universe and become part of their universe before you can expect them to, um, you know, to take you on. Mm, it's a good advice about finding that fit that's right for you. Yeah, yeah. and uh, don't be discouraged if, you know, not every gallery is right for you because of course they're not. Because there's so many different galleries that specialise in so many different types of work. But I think it's about looking around and paying attention and asking questions and going to lots of galleries and then thinking, this is a gallery that feels like, feels like me or where I want my work to be. Like you say, become an active participant, you know, not a sort of a yeah. passive and then put your hand up and wonder why you don't suddenly get anywhere. Because it is, I mean, we talk about art communities and it is a community and you have to be part of it. And that's about contributing as well as taking. You know, I think you have to, um, you have to give in order to receive and I think there's lots of ways you can give just by going to an art gallery and looking at the work you're being part of that community um, but just kind of sitting in your studio and then randomly approaching a gallery I think I think it would be irresponsible of them to take you on really because you haven't engaged with them Yeah, and that's a really, I mean, it's really great to find, because not that many galleries will take proposals. So I think it's really good to find the ones that do and then absolutely bombard them. But I think before you do that, you should still know what, sh what shows do they take and, and watch, you know, go along and look at the shows, look on their website, at the, you know, because even then, um, they might be open to all proposals, but they're still going to have an opinion about what they take or a kind of an idea of what fits for them. Absolutely. Um, I think these things are really important, but that is also <laughs> really important. I think within this room, you know, you have a peer group, and the peer group of the people around you that you study with, they're, they're going to be the people that go on and work, you know, some of them will be artists, some of them will work in galleries, some of them will be writers, some of them will be curators. Um, you don't need to all have all the same skills, but it's good to be able to share those skills and understand who has what skills. Identify those strengths and, and see where you can support each other. For yeah. the benefit of those that aren't in the room, um, one of Emma's tips is Sorry. learn skills in writing, documenting your work, packing and installing artwork, or make friends with people who can, which is truly wonderful advice. I mean, I have a very good friend who is an artist who has extreme dyslexia. So she can't write very well. She's not very good at writing funding applications or things. But she's very good at sewing, and I can't sew. So for years, we've had a system where I take my sewing around to her. She does all my hems and fixes things. 
and I write her grant proposals. I think, you know. It's a nice, easy way to support each other is, you know, identify your strengths and weaknesses, see where you can become stronger, you know, one plus one equals three. Yeah, and the first, I talked about all those art communities. I mean, your first art community is here. It's the art school, it's the people who sit next to you, who have a studio next to you. Um, you know, take advantage of each other in a good way. Yes, it's not a negative at all. Make a website or a blog. It's really easy. I have a blog and I am completely computerphobic. I think, you know, I don't think there's any excuse not to. And I think it really is the easiest way for people to come across your work. Um, you know, take some photos, stick it on a blogger or a WordPress blog. It doesn't have to be fancy. I think it just really is. The internet is an amazing thing and it's completely changed how artists can operate. And it's free. Um, I mean, I think the workroom here is, is a stunning example of how to get your head around the digital world and the internet and how it can work for you as an artist. So, you know, I think as students, make the most of that workroom experience because it really does set you up for when you are no longer here. It gives you some really good senses of direction as to what you can put out there and how you can reach people. So. Mm. Yeah, and you've got, I mean, you've got people here who will be studying, um, I presume, website design. You've got people who are doing the, the video course. I mean, they will need, you know, people to practice on. So, <laughs> be their people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess that's what I've already said, to shape your own career. I mean, I think, think about the career that you want to have and the steps that you need to take to, to, to achieve it because you're not all going to want to have the same career. Um, and there's no, you know, there's no right career to have, I think. It's about the one that's right for you and where you are, your family, how mobile you are, um, you know, what other skills you are, you know, can you teach? Do you make work that will sell or do you make work that you will only ever show in public galleries? In which case, it's good if you can teach or something else like that. Well, it's, it's, I remember us talking about this before the podcast and, um, and I was saying that same thing. You know, I came here and I didn't sort of think, oh, wonderful, I'm going to be an artist. Uh, I love the skills I learnt here. I love being an artist. But I realised even more, I love helping other people get to that same place of finding that thing that they love to do and there's nothing like that light behind their eyes when they have that breakthrough moment and, and it's quite similarly as you say mm. yourself yeah and then I think that oh I put this picture up because um, the guy on the right some of you might even know him his name Nu he's an artist and he works at the Douse he works on our um, front of house and he does some preparatory work for us as well in exhibition and stores um, and so I met Nu when I first came to the Dallas and he told me um, that 10 years earlier, which is kind of frightening to think, that I had um, gone to uh, Massey University where he was and I'd obviously shown him the picture of um, probably the toilets <laughs> <laughs> and definitely the picture of the space where we ran an illegal bar. And then I found out that Nu was part of the Russian Frost Farmers, which some of you may have been to. It was in town. It's not really operating anymore, but it's that little space there. And it was for quite a long time an illegal bar and an artist gallery and a um, gig venue place for 
cool young people to hang out. Yeah, and I think there is lots of um, there's lots of opportunities for doing stuff yourselves, whether that's right for you and your work. I mean, there, you know, this is not this is a model for a certain kind of cool young chaps, maybe. But um, you know, I think there'll always be a model that's right for you. Um, the other thing I think is looking for existing structures. I mean, you don't have to do it entirely on your own. There's lots of structures for emerging artists. I don't know if you guys have had any contact with Artists Alliance, um, but their mentoring scheme, so they're based in Auckland, Artists Alliance. They're a kind of advocacy organisation for emerging artists, so that's what they focus on, is emerging artists. And they do great things like um, mentoring programs where um, they will, uh, you can apply as an emerging artist and they will pair you up with somebody who's either an established artist or a curator and you'll meet with that person for a year um, and they'll kind of give you advice and feedback and suggestions. Well, that's great to bridge that gap, isn't it? It really is and they, um, I looked it up and they are coming to do a workshop at Toy Pointe in November, so you should all come to that um, and learn about what they offer and also ask about the mentoring program. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I've been a mentor for them before, so although they are in Auckland and they're quite Auckland focused, they do do definitely the mentoring program is nationwide. Um, there's you know places like Toy Pointe I think they're you know amazing support for emerging artists. They are a place that you could submit proposals and they really have a mandate for showing, you know, non-established artists. Um, Hutt Valley Community Arts is a really great resource as well. They're based at the Hutt Art Society now. And they, um, along with About Space, which I think you guys have had some contact with, um, do a lot of pop-up um, galleries around the place. So they're always looking for um, people to by the way, I've got all the contact details and information for um, getting in touch with the council and doing an application for the About Space program and all those things. So, you know, if you're thinking along those lines and you're not sure where to go, um, give me a shout. Come and see me. I can generally point you in the right direction as well. And I think they're a great support structure because, I mean, you know, it's, it's quite might be quite daunting to think, well, how do I, you know, I'd like to show my work downtown in a space. There's lots of empty spaces, but I don't know how to go about that. I mean, those. Those organisations will sort of broker that. Um, we also have a woman called Pippa, who's the community arts advisor for the council. She's based at the Dallas, and she does a lot of um, kind of, I guess, um, supporting local resources. She's um, set up the community arts network, which meets every eight weeks, and the next one is here. <laughs> so there's absolutely no excuse to not all be attending that. No, it's really good that that network is. Um been reinvigorated somewhat because you know it is feeling a little homeless here with the sort of the demise of Farsight but you know artists think laterally they respond to the circumstances and make the best of it so you know to me ideas like the pop-up stuff with About Space and in the city here are really good resources to make the most of and like I say fake it till you make it put it out there have some belief in yourself and just see what happens. Everyone's faking it. <laughs> There's also the foyer gallery at the Hutt Art Society, which is, the rest of the Hutt Art Society has a kind of really long-term program and you have to be a member, but the foyer is a, a space which, which has a quicker turnaround. Um, <coughs> and I brought some brochures. 
Oh, and Totai. I don't know if you guys have any contact with Totai. Um, they're an organisation that is specifically based for supporting Pacific artists. Um, so they have a particular, um, you know, strand that they support, but they, they do amazing things for emerging artists. Oh, and great. then so you some stuff we can share out. Toy Ponaki uh, gave me a whole lot of flowers the other day, so I thought I'd bring them along. I'm sure you're all going there anyway, but I think you know that is a really amazing resource that we have in our city, and um, it's specially geared up for emerging artists. And then I brought some of our brochures for the Dow. That's great, Emma. Thank you so much. Hey, look, um, thanks a lot for coming along today and sharing you know, your interesting and colourful life experience. It's, I think it's really good for these guys to be able to um, hear about your earlier beginnings because, you know, this is the place that you guys are in now. And as Emma says, find out what it is that you love about being an artist or about the arts and, and get passionate about that. There's always places to put your energy. So any questions for Emma before we sort of wrap up? Yeah, just, is it, it's not from Samson, is it? Yes, it is. Right. Yes, so, isn't that great that we've got Pippa out the hut? Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. No. she's a wonderful So no, good time to you know, and, and the hut community is a warm, welcoming place, as I'm sure you're all aware, so throw yourself in the mix, you know, put yourself out there and, and become the next new legend from the Hutt Valley. <laughs> all right, well, thank you, everyone, for coming, and thank you, Emma, for sharing your knowledge with us.